powerful, huh? One of my favorite songs, one of my favorite groups. Love it. Hey, I'm, we're changing things up. You notice? Here I am. We're going to preach and then respond to the preaching through singing. Is that okay? Awesome. Good. You got your Bibles? We're going to look at Luke chapter 1. What a powerful question it is. Mary, did you know? I mean, can you imagine being a teenager, probably between the ages of 12 to 18, and having the experience that Mary had? And here she is, probably out getting, going to get water at the well, and she's getting the water, and the angel shows up, and the emotions, the experience, all the feelings, everything that would have come over here in that moment. But besides the fact that an angel shows up, and the anxiety, and, and the excitement, and the thrill, and, and fear that would happen because of an angel showed up, but then also of what she was told about being a virgin that's about to be giving birth to a baby, a teenager, and expectations. And part of that is because she was betrothed to Joseph. And so in those days, whenever you were betrothed or engaged, you were considered legally married. And so what would have happened in that situation is Mary and Joseph would have had a discussion. Joseph would have come over to the house one day and they would have talked. And as they were talking, he'd have said, hey, I've, I've been watching you. I've seen you. You've caught my eye, not only your physical beauty, but also your character. And because of the character and the beauty of you, I'm attracted to you. And I would like for you to potentially be my wife. And they would talk about their dreams, their hopes, their expectations of what it would look like if the two of these were to get married. And if Mary said, hey, that sounds like a good, good deal, possibly a good deal. Let's talk to my dad. Then they would invite dad in and dad would begin that discussion and would talk as well and would interview, dad would interview Joseph and say, Joseph, tell me a little bit about yourself. What do you do for a living? How much do you make? What's your 401k? Uh, do you have college retirement plans? All these different things. All those kind of discussions would go on and ask Joseph, what do you anticipate for my daughter? And so they would have that discussion back and forth. And then at some point, if they agreed, then what would happen is, is that they would seal that with a covenant. And that Joseph and Mary and the father would sit down together and they would drink wine, a glass of wine. And as a part of that drinking of the wine, they would seal the covenant between the father, Miriam, as we know as Mary, and also of Joseph. And that he would then say at that point that he is paying the bride price for Mary. And what that would be is that he would be exchanging a gift. And most of the time that was a ring of some sort. So at that moment, after they would seal that covenant with the drinking of wine and uh, the discussions there, they would then, he would then take out his gift, the bride price, the ring, and would give it to his betrothed, Miriam and Mary. And so from that day forward, they were considered legally married or betrothed together. And so for them to then break that covenant they'd made together was literally they had to go through a legal divorce in the Jewish law system. And so they were just as considered. But one of the things that they did in those days is they, their engagement was about a year. And part of that was to ensure purity of the couple, that Joseph and Mary had literally had just gotten to know one another and hadn't gotten to know each other inappropriately. And so there was that period. But then also Joseph would go back to his father's house and would begin to, to prepare a room for the married couple. So if you've seen anything about the New Testament, whenever Jesus talks about, hey, when is the time that the Messiah is going to return? He would say, only the Father knows. Well, the same thing would be happening at this point in Jewish culture. If a young man was betrothed to a young woman, he would go back to his father's house and prepare a room for his future bride. And so they would spend about a year developing that room, processing, getting everything that he potentially needed for his bride to come to the house of the bridegroom and what it would take for them to be starting as a new family. And so at any time that someone would ask this young man who was betrothed, when is, when, is your, when is your wedding day, they would respond, only the father 
knows. So beautiful imagery. So as a bridegroom is preparing his room on the Father's house, he's just preparing a room. But Jesus tells us, what? That he's going to go back to heaven. And when he goes to heaven, to the Father's house, he's preparing for us not just rooms, but he's preparing for us mansions. And so that speaks of the provision of God that he is going back and he's going to return for us. And whenever he returns from us, he's taking us to mansions, not to just a room. And so Jesus, throughout his ministry, alludes to this idea that we are the bride and he is the bridegroom. And so we see this even in the marriage ceremony of Joseph and of Mary, that they've, he's paid the bride price. And they have this experience of there's this moment of engagement and this period of waiting and anticipation. So you can imagine... Here's this young lady as a teenager, and she's been betrothed, and she knows that there's legal obligations. And any time that she leaves the house, she is wearing a veil, and that veil would would cover her glory, so that the only time that her glory would be revealed as the new bride would be on her wedding day, that the very moment whenever the priest would say, here is your bride, at that moment she would lift up the veil and reveal her full glory to her new husband. And so any time from the moment that she was betrothed to that moment that she was announced the bride, she would leave the house. Anytime she would leave the house, she is wearing a veil to, to hide her full glory. So she could obviously still see and people would know that, hey, that's Mary. But removing and, and the symbol of, listen, the only time, the first time someone gets to see this new bride in the fullness of her glory, because from that moment of betrothal to that moment, whenever they say their vows is a time of preparation. And so that she's preparing for that exact moment in that moment when she lifts the veil that her new husband would be able to see her in the fullness. And it's a moment between them and them alone. And she's not revealed even a partial glimpse of her glory to anyone else before. So what a powerful thing is that here she is and she's out and she's out doing her business. And she would probably have that veil over her face. And she's doing what she needs to do in preparations for the betrothal, for the wedding day. And all of a sudden an angel appears and tells her, You're with child. And this isn't maybe what she'd been dreaming about. She'd been expecting and anticipating and dreaming about that moment in a few months whenever her and Joseph and she would be able to lift that veil and experience what she'd been anticipating and excited about celebrating her wedding day with her husband. And now all of a sudden she's having to go and explain to her husband something completely different. And what is the emotions, the fear? Not only did an angel appear, but the anticipation and the excitement of her wedding day and and, and now this. And so how do I explain this to my future husband? Is he going to believe me? Is he going to trust me? And and all those fears and anxieties and everything that go into that. and, and, And that here she is in this moment receiving this truth. And at the very end of this passage here, I want you to grasp is that she says, God, I don't understand this. I don't get it, but whatever you ask, I will do. Whatever you ask, I will do. And what a heart of a servant saying, listen, God, you've called me to something. I don't understand the fullness of this, but you've called me to do something unique and powerful, and I'm going to follow in your footsteps. I trust you. So if you have your Bibles, look with me in Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 26. Luke chapter 1, starting at verse 26, it says this. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy. Now Elizabeth, why would they start off with this? Because Elizabeth was a, a, um, a family member of Mary's. And so she was an older family member that had not been able to conceive children for, for years and was considered barren and would not be able to have children. And her husband 
was Zechariah. And Zechariah was a priest. And the, previous to this, previous to her announcement of pregnancy, her husband, Zechariah, was the high priest for that year and was the one that had the unique opportunity, the unique calling to go into the Holy of Holies. And so once a year they would go into the Holy of Holies and they would offer up sacrifice, offer up atonement for the entire nation of Israel. So for that year, Zechariah was the priest that had that opportunity to go into the Holy of Holies where the Jews believed that God himself resided. And so whenever the priest of that, that year would go into the Holy of Holies, they would, literally, they would tie a rope around him so that if he died, because he wasn't pure, if he wasn't clean, if he wasn't fully prepared to enter into the Holy of Holies, they could pull him out because no one else could enter into the Holy of Holies for that year. And so here this man is, Zechariah, the husband to Elizabeth, who's been barren for all these years, enters into the Holy of Holies and has an encounter with an angel, has an encounter with God, and this angel says to him, your wife and you are to be having a child. And because you can, you can read that account of your own, but in the midst of that account, he kind of chuckles to himself and says, hey, there's no way. It reminds me of Abraham and Sarah. And so they have that encounter. And so because of that encounter, he loses his voice. He's deaf and mute until his son, John the Baptist, is born. And so he's in there for such a long period of time. This encounter with God takes so long that the people begin to wonder something's happened. And so they begin, okay, what's going on? And so eventually Zechariah comes out and, and can't share anything, but they obviously understand that he's had an encounter with the living God in the Holy of Holies, and he's now deaf and mute, and he can't even explain what's happened. And so here's this part of the story is in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy and Zechariah's pregnancy, again, a miraculous birth. God sent an angel, Gabriel, to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin, a young teenage girl pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. Now again, this is an important part of the prophecies because he's the lineage of David and it was promised throughout the Old Testament that the, that the Messiah, the anointed one, would come from the line of David. And so here Joseph is, his wife Mary is, is pregnant with a child and here he is as a part of the lineage of David, again, a part of the prophecy and fulfillment of God's line. The virgin's name was Mary or Miriam. The angel went to her and said, Greetings. You who are highly favored, the Lord is with you. This is one of those moments where I think the Bible just kind of says exactly what's true. And it's, it says this in verse 29, Mary was greatly troubled. You imagine? Here she is. She's out doing her thing and an angel appears. You think she was greatly troubled? How many of you would be greatly troubled? Okay. The Bible is real. All right, if it wasn't real, they would say, oh, Mary thought, oh, yeah, it's just what happens every day. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus, Yeshua. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. Now in here, here's the angel's pronouncement as he's announcing this. He's, he's giving her truths that she probably doesn't understand fully in this moment, but over her lifetime she's experiencing them and she begins to understand a little bit more. So as you read Luke on your own, you'll go through Luke and you'll see that every time that something happens as a part of Jesus' life, it says in Luke that Mary treasured, treasured this thought in her heart and she kept it in the recesses of her heart. And so every time something happened, 
she would treasure in her heart. And so including this encounter with Elizabeth. And so he will be great and he'll be called the son of the Most High. She's being told about his position. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, telling about his lineage and the prophecy. He will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. Again, pointing to the fact that he's the Messiah and the anointed one and that she's going to be understanding this more fully over the years. And his kingdom will never end. How will this be? Mary asked the angel. Since I'm a virgin. And the angel responded, The Holy Spirit will come on you. And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One will be born, will be called the Son of God. An interesting part of this is all throughout the New Testament, almost every single time, there's only one occurrence whenever Jesus is not referred to as the Son of Mary. And again, a part of this was the history and people's understanding of the unique birth of Jesus. And so I know sometimes we struggle with the virgin birth and this idea of this. But even in that day, the people understood that there was a uniqueness about Jesus. There was a uniqueness about his birth and it set it apart and make him, make him a unique person, obviously. And so even throughout, whenever people referred to Jesus, they constantly referred to him as Jesus the son of Mary. There's only one occasion where he's referred to as son of Joseph because of his carpentry. So the Holy One would be called the Son of God. And even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who is said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. And then here's Mary's response. I'm the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left. Wow. Wow. Her hopes, her dreams, her expectations for her marriage and for her life are radically changed in this moment. A teenage girl. And in that moment, her response is, she takes all this in, she's, she's processing all this, and in that moment, she says, whatever your will is, let it be. That's trust. That's faith. That's a unique person to be able to do that. Most of us would still be shaking in our boots in the encounter and processing the fact that an angel even showed up. And here this young lady is trusting and saying, let it be. Mary, did you know? I don't think she fully grasped in that moment. I think she's taking this in and she's saying, God, I don't fully understand this, but God, I trust. You've proven yourself trustworthy in my own life, in my family's life, and in the Jewish people's heritage and history. I'm going to trust you in this. I don't fully grasp this. I don't understand what it's going to look like. I'm getting ready to have to go tell Joseph that I'm with child and he's going to have to receive this or not receive this. But let it be. I trust. Think about Mary's life and her experiences with Jesus. First is that once she had this encounter with the angel, she went to go visit her relative Elizabeth. And as she showed up, her and Elizabeth, as they saw each other, their two wombs leaped for joy that there was something happened. I can't experience that. I mean, I've had Mexican food and my belly's leap for joy. Okay, but I don't know that it's the same experience. And so Elizabeth and Mary's, their bellies, they saw one another. There's this encounter. There's a leap for joy. You have more than one child. Do your children leap for joy when they see each other? They do. Okay, so there, it can happen. And so there's this leaping for joy that happens. There's this confirmation that something is happening. And so they enjoy. And so Mary stays with Elizabeth up until the time of Elizabeth's 
birth. And then she, she goes. And in the moment that, obviously, as we talked about over the last few weeks, as Jesus is born, that the shepherds hear the story and they show up at the manger scene and begin to worship Jesus. And then after, immediately after that, within eight days, Joseph and Mary go to the temple. And as they go to the temple, which was the custom of the eighth day to have their child circumcised, Simeon was a prophet that had been promised by God that you will not die until you see the face of the Messiah, the anointed one. And he sees the face of Jesus and he bows down and worships and says, you are the one that we've been waiting for. You are my salvation. You are the salvation for the people. You are the Messiah, the anointed one. And again, it says in Luke that Mary took these things and she treasured them deep in her heart. And before she can even leave the temple that day, another prophetess, Anna, showed up. And Anna sees the face of Jesus and falls down at the feet of Mary and Joseph and Jesus and worships and says, you are the Messiah, the anointed one. And again, it says in Luke that Mary treasured these things deep within her heart. So you can imagine that she's beginning this journey, Joseph and Mary, there's these confirmations that this is a unique child, that there's something different, that this angel that showed up promised that this would be the Son of God, that this angel showed up and promised that he would be the Messiah, that this angel showed up and as even within the first eight days, all these confirmations are happening. Even at the age of 12, Jesus shows up at the temple and he hangs out a little bit longer. Joseph and Mary had gone on and Jesus is lost for a little bit. Mary and Joseph had returned home or were on their journey home and realized Jesus wasn't there. I can't imagine a teenager not being where they're supposed to be. Imagine that. And so Jesus is here and he's in the Father's house. He's in the temple and he's gathered around. So this is a unique deal. At this point, he's considered an adult. He's had his bar mitzvah. He's there. He's an adult. And so he's in there with the men studying and teaching. And the old men, the old priests, the wise guys, the guys that had gone to seminary, the guys that have their doctorates, the guys that had written books, the guys that had their own podcasts and television shows are there with Jesus. And Jesus is teaching them. Can you imagine as a mom and dad walking in and all these religious people are gathered around the studs of the day and Jesus is there and they're at his feet going, teach us more. And again, it says that Mary took these things and treasured them in their heart. What child is this? Then we see that in Jesus' ministry, whenever he began his ministry, that there was a crowd of people that followed along. There were obviously the disciples, but there were others that were part of a little bit larger crowd, anywhere from 50 to 100. So everywhere that Jesus went, there were people that were cooking and and doing different things as they would camp out, and there was a a crew together. And as a part of this crowd, most believe that Mary was a part of this, his mother. So she's seeing Jesus' brothers were at times were part of this, and she's taking all this in and seeing this. What would it have been like for Mary? to see some of the miracles and to take these in. It says that she saw these things and she cherished them and treasured them deep in her heart. And finally to the point where she's there at his death. He's on the cross. He's between two thieves and he's there on the cross. And he looks out. And one of the final things that he does is he looks out at his mother. And he looks out at the beloved disciple John and he looks at John and he says, John, This woman here, this woman is now your mother. Mom, this is now your son. Can you imagine in that moment for a parent to see your child and to know that they are dying and to know that you are 
There's nothing you can do. It's every parent's worst fear. It's the worst thing that we can possibly imagine. And she's been following him around. She's received this, this moment with, with God and she's encountered and she's treasured all these things in her heart. And now here she is and she's looking at the cross and she's saying, why this? This, all of this is for this? Surely this can't be. And Jesus in that moment says, mom, this is your son. My brother, this is your mother. If anyone had an opportunity to doubt who Jesus was, it was Mary. She knew him better than anyone else. If he, if he had lied, if he had cheated, if he had stolen, if there was anything about him that wasn't God, she would have known it. And she's there at the cross. And immediately after that, the disciples and, and all the other people, part of that 50 to 100, are in our upper room, and Jesus has already ascended. And Mary, the mother of Jesus, is there with them, awaiting what is next. Because she's experienced who Jesus is, and she knows that, yes, I've given birth to him, but I'm not just giving birth to him. I need to receive him as my deliverer. She's just like us. What child is this? She's treasured all these things over the years, and she's treasured these things in her heart and became a fuller understanding of who this baby was that she wrapped in swaddling clothes and that she held, that it's not just her child, but it's the Son of God. It's the Messiah, the Anointed One, the Deliverer. Those that thirst for more, He's the one that will fulfill that thirst. And so she's in the upper room, receiving and waiting. And at that moment, when the Holy Spirit came and Pentecost happened, She was there and received the Spirit. She waited. To me, this is confirmation of the virgin birth and of the life and ministry of who Jesus is, is that she went to the ends of the earth for this man called Jesus. It's one of the reasons that I believe in Jesus is because of the disciples and the, from the moment that Jesus died and what the disciples went through. If you study the history of how the disciples died and what they gave up and at what cost, it confirms for me that they believe that they believe that they believe that this was the Messiah, the anointed one, and his cause was worth giving his life for. Because there's not much that many of us would give our lives for. And these men were saying, this is the guy, and I will give everything for this guy. And even his mother says, listen, I know him like no one else knows him, and I need what he provides. He brings water to the thirsty. What child is this? It's Mary's child. But it's also the Messiah, the one who brings water to the thirsty. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this baby Jesus. We thank you for his mother Mary that received this blessing. Yes, she was and is a favored one. But in her flesh and her humanity, she is just like us and needs a Savior. And she partook of the bread of life. She knew the King of kings and Lord of lords. And she said, I need what he brings. I need the Savior, Jesus. Father, may we lift him up and worship him this morning. It's in your son's name that we pray. Amen.